Hi there, and thank you for joining me on this very special edition of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. And before I get into the details of why I've decided to do this first ever special podcast, let me first introduce my guest. My guest today is Barry McGuire, who is a very good friend of mine, but also happens to be one of the most experienced and accomplished real estate lawyers in Canada. He is a veteran real estate lawyer of more than 47 years, where his practice has been focused exclusively on real estate for 44 of those 47 years. And as a real estate investor himself, Barry began investing in real estate more than 48 years ago. This is a man who has been in the game for a long time. And over that time, he evolved to being an amazing speaker and passionate educator to many real estate focused groups, including sharing his investing wisdom and strategies with many of the 165,000 individuals who have been part of the various programs of the Real Estate Investment Network and our community over the past 30 years. Now, Barry is a co-author of the book, Tips for Canadian Real Estate Investors, and is a passionate coach and teacher, all of which led the way for him to develop the Barry C. McGuire Focus Workshops, which are an intensive one and two day educational workshop that challenge and really empower real estate investors to take their business to the next level. So why this special edition, you may be asking? Well, the answer is quite simple, but the topic is one that Barry and I can't be more serious about. Because in today's uncertain and confusing real estate market, many investors are stepping to the sidelines and they actually aren't knowing what to do. So this podcast special is intended to inspire and expand your view of real estate strategies that will ultimately open the door to the possibilities that exist in a market with headwinds such as we're facing today so that you can actually prepare and create a path to taking action, including a very special offer to join Barry and his team for the upcoming two-day rapid cash training program, which is being held in Edmonton on May 26th and 27th, including a very special offer for my podcast listeners. More on that later. So if you're a real estate investor who is searching for a way to take your investing to the next level and who believes opportunities definitely exist amongst the uncertainty and the chaos, well, I'm actually here to tell you that they do, Barry and I are about to share three proven strategies with you that are absolutely perfect to use through times just like we're seeing now. And as you know, education is key and opportunities present themselves when you take advantage of them and when you understand what is possible. You're going to hear us talk about being a problem solver in the markets that are literally unfolding across the country. It is a wave of real estate problems that are going to need savvy investors to help solve them. And that's just starting to roll. And therein, by the way, lies the opportunity that we see for those who are equipped with the right tools and education to know how to use them. So. Listen in as Barry and I walk you through these pre three proven strategies. And with all of that said, let's get this show started. 
Barry Maguire. Welcome, my friend, to this special edition of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. We got a lot of things to talk about. Well, thanks, Patrick. It's uh, it's fun doing this. I love talking about real estate, and we do have a lot of things to talk about. So let's get to work. Let's get going. Well, you know, as I stated in my intro, you know, these are certainly economic times that are ideal for the expertise that you bring to the table. You know, as 47 years as a lawyer, real estate lawyer, and then as a coach, you know, the creative buying strategies that I want to hit on today cover really three formats that I know that you're expert on. And and there's others, of course, but, you know, let's talk about the opportunities that are presenting themselves and the wave of opportunities that I see coming given what's happening economically, which means we need some creative strategies. And the three I'm talking about today, and I would like to talk to you about today, are rent to own agreements for sale and wholesaling not in any particular order but where do you want to enter the conversation well i think let's talk about wholesaling first is uh wholesaling and then rent to own or, or rto and then agreements for sale to finish up i think that would be the the appropriate order well you know and just before we get started here barry you know there's something that we have to consider and that is and i want it from your perspective as a lawyer i mean you work out of alberta but you're very in touch with what's going on at a national level because you actually take some of your coaching programs all the way over to ontario and you know for example you're doing that with agreements for sale well with this whole rapid cash program or focus workshops whichever you're going for but here's Here's the kind of, that's a long-winded lead into this, which is we know what's happening economically. I see opportunities starting to show up. We see increasing interest rates. We see an uncertain economic time. We see a changing world, especially when it comes to the cost of housing. And some owners, some vendors are being very motivated given those conditions. Now, are you actually seeing some of those files show up in your office or with, for example, your students who are uh, coming across deals? Are, are more opportunities even starting to show up today? You know, they are. Lots of opportunities showing up in all markets, but different strategies work better in different markets. And so as we as we move through these three topics, I'll be able to give some examples of what's going on in particular markets. And it'll be uh, very interesting for everybody watching just, just to see how that's going. So there are always opportunities. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world for creative strategies. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into the details. There are, are always creative strategy opportunities and there's just going to be a few more of them um, if economics work out the way a lot of experts are predicting. Perfect. Now, the reason that we're doing this special edition podcast is because we've got you've got a program coming up. We're going to talk about that that in partnership with the Real Estate Investment Network. We're going to talk about that. But really, what we're seeing unfold is, you know, I think I'm going to call it a wave of opportunities that are coming up over the next 12 or 18 months. The point is, is that now's the time to get that education, to prepare, sharpen your saw, whatever cliche or analogy or metaphor you want to use, get ready for not only what's here, but what is more to come, I would say. Couldn't agree more, Patrick. Education is the key to, it's the key to learning. I mean, that's trite to say that, that education is the key to learning, but creative strategy are no different than anything else. You have to you have to load your lip and mm -hmm. you know put arrows in your quiver to you know to use some of those <laughs> those metaphors so and, many and analogies <laughs> so that so that when an opportunity comes by you can actually do something about it you have to you have to understand 
any strategy, including the three we're going to talk about today. And if you understand those strategies, you will recognize the opportunities. They will they will leap out of the situation and go, and you'll go, I know what to do with that because I understand it. Yeah, well, it goes, it's a classic example of the tool in the belt. If you've got it, you're going to use it. So let's kick it off with wholesaling. Yeah. Give me a, I think, you know, the other term that's often used is assigning uh, assignments, which is a more popular term, it seems to me, in Ontario. But listen, you're the expert. Tell me what a wholesaling is. How does that align with the term assigning deals? Uh, give us a little bit of background on that. All right. Wholesaling, or assignments as it's sometimes called, is uh, at its heart very simple to describe. So you you are an investor, you want to make some money. Lots of investors start out with wholesaling. Lots of investors have no money, so they turn to wholesaling. But here's the, here's the, the basic summary. As a wholesaler, you go out and find an undervalued property, a below market property. You look, you check, you do, you establish some diligence. It's under market and you know it. You get that property under contract. And if people are going, hold on here, why do sellers sell their properties for less than the market says they're worth? And the answer to that is, and we've learned this, Patrick, and, and you've seen it over your career, is there's no accounting for what sellers do. And there's lots of reasons why they do it. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a two-pronged thing. But you find an undervalued property, you get that property under contract. Once you have it under contract, then you turn to your buyer's list. This is a list of people who are looking to buy properties, who don't want to do the hard work of finding properties, and who would be interested in buying your property. So you get it under contract, you turn to your buyer's list, and you tell them you have this property available. Your, someone on your buyer's list will say, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And you then assign, so the, the process is called wholesaling, the how you move your rights in the contract over to your ultimate buyer is called assigning. So you have the property under contract, you assign it to your ultimate buyer for an assignment fee. You collect the check for that and the ultimate buyer closes on the deal. We always try and set these up as a win-win so that, you know, for example, if you find a property that's $50,000 under market value, and that happens a lot, Patrick, mm -hmm. you might collect an assignment fee of $5,000 or $7,500 or $10,000. The ultimate buyer, if the property is really $50,000 under value, if he pays you $10,000, he's still picking up $40,000 worth of equity. So that, in a nutshell, is, is how it works. Well, the real power that I'm hearing in this uh, particular strategy as well, Barry, is that, number one, if you're going into the game and you're trying to generate some income, you don't have a lot of money to, let's say, invest in real estate, but you do want to drive income in a real estate world because you're familiar with that world perhaps or you have an interest in it this is a way for you to drive income today it's not a future state it's like okay i've got this deal under assignment and all this can happen within a few short weeks and uh can happen pretty quickly so that you're actually putting money in your jeans so that it becomes working income for you today is that a fair statement it is a fair statement it's it's what we call one of the rapid cash strategies it's rapid cash. Buy and hold 
I mean, we all have buy and hold. Patrick, you and I and Don have all have lots of properties in our buy and hold portfolio. Mm-hmm. But that is long a long-term project, long-term. You're looking to pay off a mortgage in 25 years and have a clear title property and, and, and have a, a lots of cash flow from that. That is not rapid cash. That's not Post rapid. Term, <laughs> that's not rapid. It might be great long term and, yeah. and and you know, we all do it, but it's not rapid. So yes, uh wholesaling slash assignments is a way to generate cash right now. So let's break this down a little bit because I think for somebody who's listening that's maybe heard wholesaling or assignments or maybe hasn't, isn't really familiar with it, you know, you asked the question to begin with is which is why would a vendor be, you know, inspired or motivated to sell a property under value to somebody that they've never met before, that they don't owe any favors. And to your point, there's all sorts of circumstances. So let's give a couple of quick examples of that. It could be a death in the family. Let's say a parent passes and the family's left with this particular house and they're going, let's get rid of this thing. I don't want to take it on. I, you know, I've got kids, I've got a busy life, whatever the story. So they have this piece of property they don't want to do with it and listen they're not attached to the big number they just want to get it off their kind of or out of their thing to do is that a fair statement that's a that would be a scenario that would be a scenario and there there are lots of scenarios why sellers are motivated situations where sellers are distressed it's a, so uh, a death in the family mm-hmm. loss of a job divorce divorce is a big one uh, yeah Divorce is big. Uh, transfer from one city to another where your company isn't picking up the tab. Uh, there's tons of circumstances where uh, sellers have to sell, and they often have to sell quickly. And that's that's a key to uh, to wholesaling is to be able to move that property quickly for the seller and get them some money outside the normal listing with a realtor uh, sale process. So. And, and Barry, to your point, and just I just want to step over it, is that would it be safe to say that most assignment deals in this scenario for wholesaling wouldn't be done through a realtor or are they? Most are not? It depends which end of the wholesaling game you are in. Mm. So, you know, once, so wholesalers really divide themselves up into kind of three categories. Uh, folks who do a deal every once in a while, they know about the strategy, something comes across their desk. Uh, they're not really actively looking, but they understand it. They, they're doing other things in real estate. Yeah. So they have the odd opportunity and they do something mm-hmm. with it. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, and and will answer your question, are people who have decided that wholesaling is what they want to do. And they scale up the strategy so that they are making many, many offers in any particular week. And uh, usually when you're doing that, you're you're using a realtor. You've, you've ratcheted and scaled up this process so that you, you're really aware of what areas uh, in a particular city that you would like to, uh, to, to deal in, where properties are popular, where investors want to buy properties. And then you work with a realtor who understands the wholesaling strategy, and that's very important. Uh, you work with a realtor to submit a lot of offers on a lot of properties. And do you get anywhere near 100% of those? Absolutely not. I mean, you might be lucky if you got 5 to 10% of your lowball offers accepted. Uh, and that's where a good realtor can really help you. 
And it's a quid pro quo. Uh, it's a back scratching with, with a realtor. If, if you're looking to have a, a realtor show you opportunities and to write up a whole bunch of offers and to maybe help you with, with comps, with comparables when you need to do some research, then you have to have a relationship with a realtor that if he finds you deals that work and you actually write offers, you need to be closing on them. That's what realtors want. They want clients who close on deals, do what you say you're going to do, close on the deals. And uh, if you happen to be a rehabber sometimes, uh, the, the realtor might get the listing coming out the other way. So many opportunities to work with a realtor in the wholesaling business, but usually more at the scale business end of it. Understood. So this is something that, you know, we're talking about the rapid cash program that we'll touch on near the end of the program. But ultimately, this is the kind of thing that you teach within the program, which is to say that, you know, yes, a realtor is important. Yes, you're probably, if you get into it in a big way, you're going to have your landing page, you're going to have a website, you're going to actually attract buyers because you're going to become known as a problem solver. You're going to be that individual that is there to uh, support your buyer list. In other words, you're actually creating a buyer list where you have an exit because you've got a number of buyers who would be interested in specific properties. And because they're sharing with you what they're looking for that's what you're looking for so i don't know is it is it fair to say or is it minimizing it to say that you become a bit of a bird dog for your buyer list yes yeah no you you have to have a buyer list that if you if you think about it somebody says you know i'm going to get into wholesaling that's a good idea and, well first day you find a beautiful under market property now you can't close on it because you have no money uh but it's undervalued and it's an attractive property and you know it'd be a home run so you get it under contract and then you go, now what? I have no one to say to, hey, I've got this great property and you can have it. We can all make some money. So yes, you have to build that buyer's list and you have to be able to find undervalued properties. That's there's probably 10 steps to go through in wholesaling. Those are the two most important kind of middle steps, which is finding the properties, but firstly, having a buyer's list to move those properties to. And we teach all about that in the rapid cash program and in our wholesaling courses. Now, this is a really this is a fundamental strategy that almost anybody can learn and put into place. It's far from being necessarily a full time thing, although some take it on in that way, because to your point, some are actually wholesaling, but they're actually buying the deal and then they're renovating or doing what they they're rehabbing the property before they sell it again. So they get another lift in the process, different conversation. But you shared with me a while back a story about somebody in Calgary who's de doing deals on the East Coast. Do you want to, I don't know, do you want to give us a little bit of a story about just how hands-off this can be or or there's no limitations to ge geographically what you're doing? Well, there isn't. I, so just generally speaking, uh, creative strategies work all across the country. So wholesaling is well-known in in all the provinces. It's even well known in Quebec. Now it's a different set of rules in Quebec and I don't I don't teach how to do it there, but the, the concept of finding an undervalued property and then marketing it to somebody else for an assignment fee is well known across the country, number one. Same with rent to own and agreements for sale. We've been plugging away at that, Patrick, as you know, for yeah. 15 years or so. Yeah. And uh, agreements for sale are having a raised profile across the country. So 
to to get to our example, we have uh, we have a, a student and a client who lives in Alberta. He works for Syncrude, uh, but he is from New Brunswick. He's mm-hmm. from New Brunswick. And so he learned about wholesaling, not our rapid cash program. And when he's back visiting in New Brunswick, he's, of course, interested in real estate. And he's walking around. He's seeing boarded up properties. He's looking uh, online to see what rentals are for other properties. So he starts banging on some doors and making some calls and finding some owners and making some offers. And he goes, you know what? We've got a lot of sellers out here who really want to get rid of their properties. So he's going, ha, hmm, ha, how am I going to do this from Calgary when the property is in New Brunswick? She has lots of family still living there. He's enlisted the help of his sister to be his eyes and boots on the ground in New Brunswick. And he has ratcheted up this program to the point where he has a New Brunswick lawyer, has New Brunswick realtors. He's got his sister to be his transaction manager in New Brunswick, and he runs all that from his home in Calgary, and he is doing a ton of deals. So these work all across the country, and there are ways to do it in a different city or different province if you have the circumstance and you put in the time and the effort. You know, and just to share with the listeners, you know, there's something here, Barry, that I think we should not step over. You know, one of the cornerstones of Rain is treat your real estate investing like a business, whatever that is. And in this case, it's called wholesaling. It's called buy and hold. It's called rent to own agreements for sale, which we're going to be talking about. But the thing is, is that when you treat it like a business, you are actually looking and considering, well, I need a great team of people to, I got to surround myself with the right team and the right people to, to pull it off. But there's another aspect of this is that there's a great way to generate income and the cost of entry. In other words, the money that you need to get in is I don't, I don't want to ever say it's, it can be zero, but it could be. We know that there's hustlers out there that can really pull it off because they work their butts off and they are very creative in how they approach things. But ultimately, the cost of entry from a dollars and cents point of view is pretty low. You know, I'm going to talk about that, Patrick. I was, when I, in getting ready for this, um, uh, to chat with you today, wrote down, you know, just what is wholesaling? What is wholesaling? Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote down seven points, which some of which we touched on. So I'm going to talk about that, including the, the cost of entry. And when we get to agreements for sale, uh, we're going to talk about the cost of entry there uh, in some very, very interesting deals. But if we come back to wholesaling, we talked about the, the basic side of it, that you find a property, get it under contract, you know, uh, assign it to somebody and collect an assignment fee. It is a simple strategy to describe. It's how long did it take me to say what is wholesaling? Yeah, yeah. It was 25 words or so. Uh, it is simple, not easy, though, I wouldn't say. There's lots of details that you have to learn, and that's part of the educational side of it. It is, as you just pointed out, low cost. There's many a deal written with an owner where the deposit is $100 or $500 or $1,000. That is not uncommon. And, and that is the wholesaler's only money into the deal is what kind of a deposit they might be able to negotiate. So that's as close to no money down as you could possibly want. What else? It's repeatable. It's once you learn how to do it and you um, improve your technique of both finding uh, motivated sellers and increasing the size of your buyers list, 
you can just keep doing what you learn how to do and keep generating deals that you put into your pipeline. So it's repeatable. It's a it's really a gateway to other strategies because the what you learn about finding wholesale deals are what you can apply to if you're a fix and flip. That's where you want to be. You want to be a fix and flip. You want to be a rent-to-own person. So a lot of what you learn about wholesaling is a, a gateway to the other creative strategies. Uh, number six would be that wholesaling and other creative strategies are empowering because you are often solving problems for people and creating win-win situations. And there's a karmic effect to running a business like that, that that has an ongoing positive effect on you and the people you deal with and your ability to generate more deals out of deals you've already done. If you are always being a problem solver with a win-win attitude in mind. And the last thing is, because we're I think we're maybe nearing the end of our time on wholesaling, is uh, it's magic. And why would it be magic, Patrick? The, sh the short answer is, if you're an alchemist, you're always trying to turn lead into gold. Mm. Uh, wholesaling turns nothing into profit. Mm. Nothing to profit. So this is so interesting in terms of what you said in all of this. And I heard it all, but I think we wrap it up in terms of, you know, really realizing that this is about coming in as a problem solver because many people are faced with problems. They don't yeah. know where to turn. You know, if you're somebody who's only ever owned a home, you barely understand interest rates and what a mortgage is, let alone how do I exit this particular problem that I've got and whatever that problem might be. And we listed a few of them, but ultimately you becoming, you coming in as the problem solver and creating that win-win situation to your point is also about defining your brand and taking a stand for who you want to be in the space called wholesaling or uh, deal assignments. And uh, when you take that approach, uh, you start to see a lot of momentum that can be gained and picked up and deals showing up because then you become a go-to guy. You become a source for other people who are seeing problems that they don't know how to solve or they it's not their area of expertise. So then you're getting referrals as well as along the way. And realtors are also looking for problem solvers that they can rely on to get certain things done. Is that a fair statement as well, Barry? That's that's a wonderfully fair statement. And it's it's another thing that we we teach at the Rapid Cash program is how to get to be the person that everyone calls the person that everyone knows can be a problem solver and you develop that persona and that brand over time by taking certain specific steps and it doesn't take that long before the phones ring and people are calling you Patrick we know you can do deals we know you close we got a problem can you help yes I can Beautiful. Okay, so let's talk about our next strategy. I think uh, on the list was are we going rent to own or are we talking about agreements for sale? Where do you want to go with it? I think we'll go with rent to own as the as the next strategy. Yep. So tell us what a rent to own is. What does it mean? And why does anybody run a rent to own, Barry? Rent to own, uh, sometimes called lease options, is how come they all have two names? Why is that? Yeah, get it straight. Selling assignments, get rent to straight. own lease options, <laughs> is a strategy that helps people who want to buy a home now. They want to be homeowners now, and for various reasons, good legitimate reasons, 
mostly. They are not able to be a homeowner now, but they want to. So that's what rent to own does. That that um, urge for home ownership is a powerful, powerful urge worldwide. We're no different in Canada. Home ownership is uh, is something that most people aspire to. Some of our um, younger folks don't mind being renters, but overall, people aspire to be homeowners. So if you want to be a homeowner and you are a new Canadian, there are different rules if you're a new Canadian when you're going to the bank to get a mortgage. It's not as easy as if you're a, a, a resident of Canada or a citizen of Canada. If you have just started a new job, you might have a whiz-bang great job that pays you a ton of money, but when you go to the bank and they want to know your economic history and whether your income will support the mortgage payments, they want you to have had that new job for, I believe, at least a year before they will give you credit for you being the lucky guy to have a great job that pays you a bunch of money. Yeah. If you've started a new business, it's kind of the same thing as if you've started a new job. I think if you started a new business, banks want two years of operating income before they will let you borrow in the in the corporate name. If you have uh, just been involved in a divorce, here you are, you're married, you have two incomes, you're keeping the ship afloat. Now you're divorced with one income to keep your ship afloat, but you still want to buy a property. Uh, what if you are a person that has a really good income, but you haven't been much of a saver? And so that's important because, for example, if you're buying, say, here in Alberta, an average house at $400,000, and I know you guys in in the lower mainland in the Golden <laughs> Horse, you're like, 400000 kind of a stack are you buying for that? If you get a conventional mortgage, you need to put down 20% of that $400,000 purchase price. That's $80,000 plus closing costs. If you're not a saver, accumulating 80 grand is tough for you to do. So divorce, new, uh, new job, new company, new Canadian. And let's not step over damaged credit. You know, one of the things that we've seen over the years, Barry, is that you know, in, in all sorts of situations, you know, mistakes made, oversights, uh, sticky spots in life, divorce, what happens with that credit rating can really set you behind. And so although your job is secure, your income is decent, the bank looks at you and go, no, you're still too high a risk. You're not ready and uh, we're not ready to finance that. So go get that cleaned up. Come back to me when we don't have all these kind of bad credit score things going on and marks on your bureau. Uh, I guess that's a that's a pretty common one as well. It is a common one. And, you know, that, that can be something as kind of minor as missing a few bill payments. Uh, it can be as major as going through a bankruptcy or a consumer credit situation, a foreclosure. All of those have horrible effects on your credit. And repairing that credit can take an extensive amount of time and it's it's kind of a continuum there if you you know if you're behind on some bills uh if you've got too many credit cards if you've got too many lines of credit that mm. you access but maybe you're not really behind those kinds of things are fixable quicker uh if you've got a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy those are harder to fix and and take a lot longer but you still want to buy a home so there there are many reasons why people who want to buy a home 
cannot qualify for a mortgage and therefore they have to enter the rent to own space if that's um, if home ownership is what they're looking for. Right. So that's perfect. And then to this to your point around this particular strategy is that you then become the problem solver. Somebody would love to buy a home. They're not in a position to either qualify for a mortgage. They may not have the down payment today. They may have a scarred credit rating that doesn't allow them to get in. They need some time. They need two, three years to kind of get it all together before they can buy that property. So you come in as a problem solver and say, okay, we can make that happen sooner you know, and then we start to put a deal together on a rent to own and walk us through kind of the process that we may go through kind of high level, Barry, uh, the process that we would go through to ultimately uh, get somebody into a property, buy a property, get somebody into it, and then an exit kind of plan around it. Okay. So that's a good summary, Patrick, of of, of what we're facing in the, in the rent to own space. So it's it starts with fielding inquiries from people who get in touch with you because your marketing program has people phoning you to say, yes, they want to buy a home. It starts with you talking to people and analyzing their situation. And really what you're looking for is to identify the problem that right now is causing them not to be able to buy a property and saying, can we fix this problem? So that's what you do first. Assuming you come to a positive answer, on that scenario, then you say, okay, now let's get into the details. What is it going to take to solve your problem? And how long is it going to take to fix that? Because that determines the length of the rent-to-own. If it's a problem that can be solved in a year, you might set up your rent-to-own for 18 months, just to give a little flex to be able to make sure the problem is solved. If it's a bankruptcy where People's credit needs to be spotless for, I think, seven years. That's a much longer RTO. But first, you analyze the problem and figure out what it takes to solve it. Like If you get over that step, then you start working with, as they say, your power team. And rent-to-own is the classic situation where you need a lawyer who understands it, a realtor who understands it, a mortgage broker who understands it. And so uh, your next step, once you say somebody qualifies for your program, is you send them out shopping for a home that fits the financial criteria that you've established for them. You definitely uh, guide them for the price point that they can buy uh, at and the area they can buy at. So they're not going to be buying a mobile home on a two-acre parcel of land 100 clicks from the nearest town. They're, they're not going to be buying a unique house in a strange subdivision where there's maybe only one other person in the world who will like this house besides them. You're pretty much pushing them to reasonable houses in reasonable areas that fit the dollar figure that they're going to be able to qualify on your mortgage. And that's the kind of house that you tell them to go shopping for. So, Barry, when we look at this, let's give one layer of context for listeners is understanding that rent to own from a income strategy is also very effective. This is, uh, again, uh, it can be very, very lucrative in terms of what you get paid up front and the and we'll call it the option payment. And we'll let you explain that. But ultimately, this is also a lucrative way to generate and drive income. It doesn't have to be a full time gig, although many do it. 
good. And I think what we need to point out here is that it's a very popular strategy and there really isn't enough expertise filling the gap. And the gap's quite big, especially given what's happening in the world today and in our economic conditions and the banking conditions today. So I, I want to shine a light on that, that it is very lucrative and there's a big demand for it, but there's a lack of expertise that uh, for people to take it on. And it doesn't have to be a full-time kind of gig. You could do one or two deals a year and still make good money and uh, have a very kind of successful outcome, if you will. Is that a fair statement? It, it is a fair statement. It, like wholesaling, it lends itself to doing a deal every once in a while, as you've just described, or if you're, you know, if you're really on it, you can turn it into a full-time business. So it's got that uh, that ability for sure. And it certainly has the ability to be lucrative for you as the, uh, as the rental own operator. Uh, it also has the ability for you to set these up that other investors can get involved in deals that you set up where both you as the operator and the investor as kind of the money partner can both do extremely well on rent to own. And why is that, Patrick? I mean, how do we, how do we make this a win-win and still make a decent dollar? I mean, sometimes people think those ideas are mutually exclusive, but that is definitely not the case in rent to all. So, well, I guess the, the, let's and let me just fill in a couple of gaps here, Barry, and I'd like you to walk us through the process a little bit. But ultimately, the outcome is that you're supporting somebody in getting the home that they want, and and they are a part of the process of choosing the home, or often they are, most often, I guess, you want them to be. They yes. become your tenant, so they're going to be more respectful of the property. As a matter of fact, they'll probably want to build some sweat equity into that property right up front, so they're going to look after it. They're going to pay the rent on time, and on top of it, you're getting a premium for rent as well as the option payment. And this is really a kind of a cool scenario from an investment point of view because it takes a lot of risk off the table. Yes, there's a screening process and you got to make sure you get the right uh, tenant buyer in there. But ultimately, uh, this is a great uh, scenario for any investor. And and that's why you can attract uh capital partners that are going, oh, I'm only in for two or three years. This is my ROI. We see an in, we see an exit. It's not way out in the future, like a buy and hold property. Uh, the exit's you know predetermined. And uh, if everything goes as planned, it kind of works out that way. So that's a great scenario. But so let's walk us, why don't you walk us through, Barry, the, the kind of the process of a rent to own and how we got there. So for example, we find we've got a tenant buyer. There he is. Somebody or she, this family says, you know, I need a home. I've got a job. My wife's got a job. Two kids going to school. We want to live in this particular neighborhood. We need help. So what would uh, the structure of that deal or how would we monetize it and what would it kind of look like? Well, Patrick, I think you just summed it up. I don't, I don't even, I think we just replay what you just said. That clip is a perfect summary of exactly how it works. But Show me the money, Barry. Come on, man. Show me the money. All right. So we we find we find the property. Everybody agrees this is the property to buy. To get into the deal, the rent-to-own buyer signs a lease with you like you would sign with any tenant. Mm -hmm. so if you have properties to rent, you have a lease that you use, that's the lease that you use with your tenant buyer. You also uh, have them sign an option agreement. The option agreement says how much they 
uh, the option agreement gives them the right to buy the house in a particular period of time for a particular sum of money. So uh, the option agreement says how much option money they're going to pay up front, how much they might pay every month, uh, how, what's the price they're going to pay at the end of their two or three or four years worth of uh, option time. So monetarily, and how you monetize this is, uh, so let's take our $400,000 property. That's the example we're going to use. That's the cost of this house. These folks are going to have to accumulate if they're going to go with CMHC, most people like to go with CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. That means that they're likely going to have to get a 90% mortgage and have 10% down. Mm -hmm. I know you can do 5% CMHC mortgages, but somehow, really, when you're doing rental home, folks have to have 10% skin in the game. Yeah. So 10% uh, of $400,000 is $40,000. That's what they have to accumulate say three years out, it's going to be a three-year rent-to-own. So the first question is, uh, you would like, as the operator, as the rent-to-own operator, you would like to get as big a chunk of that $40,000 paid up front as what we call initial option consideration. Why do you want that? Well, one really good reason is that uh, the more skin people have in the game, the more likely they are to, to be uh, wanting to complete the deal. If you do RTO deals for no money down, that's easy for somebody to exit after a few months and say, well, this isn't working. I, I got to go. No consequences. They, yeah. There's no consequences, no skin in the game. But if they put up $20,000 of the 40, then that's a lot harder to walk away from. So you monetarily get option money. And the option money, contrary to popular belief, does not have to go in some lawyer's trust account waiting for this deal to close in three years. Any option money paid, whether it's initial option money right at the beginning of the deal, or whether it's monthly option money, because remember they have to save another 20000 over three years, that money is all yours. You can take that money. It's cash flow for you right now. You can take that money and do whatever you want with it. At the end of the deal, if the people close the deal, you give them credit for the $40,000 that they paid you over three years. If they don't close the deal, the money is yours. So it was yours. It's yours no matter what. So you get, you get money right now. That's number one. Number two, you can get market or better rent. Market mm -hmm. or better rent. You always get at least market. Sometimes you can charge a little bit more, which increases your, your cash flow. Number two, or three, sorry, you get mortgage pay down. So over the course of that three years, the mortgage is diminished by the monthly payments. And number four, you usually build an equity appreciation number into the final price that people will pay. So the price, when you write the deal is $400,000, the price goes up by what you think reasonable equity appreciation is where you live. And that's a local number. All real estate is local, Patrick, as I've heard you say any number of times. Mm-hmm. Let's not get into average prices in Canada. Let's not. <laughs> Patrick, let's not get into that. Uh, so what's a reasonable appreciation figure in, in your area? So 2%, 3%, 5%. I mean, when prices were going up 11% a month in Ontario, uh, RTO operators were writing deals at 5% appreciation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a big number. You got to have a realistic number. 
And so those are the four ways that you generate money out of RTO deals. And uh, they can be at the end of three years, when you add up those numbers, it is totally not uncommon to have a return on investment of 20, 22, 24%. That, which if you divide with your investor, is 10, 12, 14%. And that's a low number, Patrick. I'm I'm saying it as a low number because if you say to people, oh, you can earn 25% on this investment, they go, yeah, yeah. Tell me another one. Too good to be true, it must be. So we prefer to, to talk lower numbers, 10, 12, 14% for each investor, or sorry, for the operator and for the money partner. And that on a on a you know really a guaranteed investment, as much as a, any investment can be guaranteed, is fabulous return. So those are kind of how the numbers work. And they work differently if you have put an all cash deal in or if there's a basic mortgage used to buy the property, or if there's a HELOC used to buy the property. So the numbers switch depending on which technique you use, but all of them produce great monthly cash flow and great profit. Okay, so I'm going to be the naive student on this one, and uh, I saw a gap, and I want you to fill the gap for me, the naive student. And I saw that I found this uh, tenant buyer we came to a conclusion on a particular property worth four hundred thousand uh, dollars. We look at ten percent down. They're going to need forty grand for a down payment. They're going to give me ten, fifteen, twenty grand as an option that uh, secures or gives them accountability, if you will. They've got skin in the game. So when we come time to close the deal, we've predetermined some way uh, a number on exit. Let's say is three years down the road. Now here's my question. Got it. Sure. So I've gotten the mortgage myself and or I have a investor buyer that has got the mortgage and they've put it in their name, whatever the scenario is. And often it's an investor buyer because if you're the kind of the person putting the deal together, you may not qualify for a mortgage anymore. You may not have the money yourself. Either way, you've got an investor involved. You've got this property on it and you're doing your thing. You're paying premium on the rent. You're getting an option payment. Got it all. I got all that part. What didn't... Okay. Compute for me, Barry, is now in three years, if that property is worth $450,000 or $475,000 or whatever the number is, now my tenant buyer is going to go to the bank and 10% is not of $400,000 anymore, it's of $450,000. Or what if it's $500,000? Now they got to come up with even more money. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, Patrick, I thought you were going to say, what happens if the property is worth less than 400 Well, no, no, no. We're, 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 we're way more savvy than that. We're watching the economic fundamentals. There's been no black swan events. We're going forward. Sure. If a property is worth, is worth more than that, what price have you agreed to sell to the buyer at? It's a, the option that you sign right at the beginning says how much the buyer has to pay. And so let's say it's set up, okay, your, your price is 400 today. At year one, it'll be 400 plus a 2% appreciation. Mm-hmm. So 2% appreciation on that. So that makes it 408,000. Yep. At the end of year two, two more percent on 408,000 brings it up to say 420,000. Mm-hmm. And on to year three. So now we're at 435. Mm-hmm. So under a classic option, the buyer would have to pay $435,000 to, to buy that property. 
Now he goes to his lender who does the appraisal and says, oh, hmm, this is worth $500,000. What does the buyer say? Good news. Good news. I've got, I've got $65,000 worth of instant equity, and maybe the bank will only lend to me on the appraised value, which is probably 435000 but I am a happy camper because I can sell this place tomorrow and collect uh, all the money I put in plus 65 grand. Mm -hmm. So that's how that works. Now, some people say on the, on the operator investor side of it, oh man, I'm leaving a lot on the table here. But you can, you can set up these deals so that the price that the buyer pays is not uh, a set appreciating price up say 2% per year, mm -hmm. but you can set it up to say, you have to pay the appraised value of the property by an AACI appraiser in three years. So then as the operator, you would get more. Uh, that would then lead potentially to the buyer having to come up with a bit more money. But Patrick, that's a wonderful problem to have. And nobody I've ever dealt with has had any trouble dealing with it. Well, and, you know, the reason I ask the question is fundamentally this, is that, you know, within rapid cash programs, there's always these little nuances, these little things, these questions. And then ultimately, you know, part of getting the education and being part of the rapid cash program is that you're there, the team is there because you've got a team with you that is actually supporting and, and actually because they're in the trenches solving these kinds of issues on a daily basis and seeing all these nuanced conversations that can unfold, that's really what it is about so that you go away with a lot of answers. And then of course there's follow-up to all of that whole uh, weekend event. So I just wanted to shine a light on it is that, you know, here we are, I come at you with a little bit of a problem. You just go, yeah, okay, that got it. This is how we handle those situations because there's all sorts of scenarios in the world of real estate and rent to own. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, that is a good point. And I think it's important for, for people to hear that when you, when you leave one of our events, you're not abandoned. Mm -hmm. We have a private Facebook group that any student who's ever taken one of our courses uh, becomes a member of that group and has the ability to post to that private group. And I'll tell you, there's 500 plus people who can solve problems like crazy. I barely have to post in that group. They, they just take care of it themselves. Very supportive, Patrick. I love it. Okay, so we've covered wholesaling. We are now uh, kind of finished up with RTO, both very, very, uh, I guess, doable and profitable strategies. And then now, given what's happening again economically, uh, we're looking at all of these strategies as being a problem solver. And uh, when we see what's happening in the world today, we can't stress enough, there's going to be a lot of problems to solve. And what you should hear in all of this is there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And in order to get out in front of those opportunities and see them and actually even be part of what creates opportunities, you need the education. And that's what we're talking about today on this particular special podcast. And one of my favorite strategies, and I know one of yours and one of your students' favorite strategies is agreements for sale, Barry. And uh, again, a very uh, profitable strategy, a very doable strategy. Uh, you can get in with no money down. You can be really light in all of it. So talk to me about what the heck is an agreement for sale. I have publications called, what the heck is an agreement for sale? <laughs> That's what people say to me. What the heck is it? Uh, so an agreement for sale is a, at its heart, 
is a seller financing strategy. It's a seller financing strategy. Here's how it goes. A seller wants to sell his property and for various reasons, there, there's, there's, it really breaks down into two areas, Patrick. Sellers who have um, difficulties, sellers who are in trouble. So in that category, it's kind of the same as when we were speaking about um, wholesaling and rent to own is that sellers get into divorces. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they can't afford the house they're in that took two incomes to support because they're divorced and they only have one income each. Uh, sellers lose their jobs. Sellers get transferred. Sellers um, have all kinds of problems that they cannot solve. And here's, here's the classic no money down scenario. So we have our $400,000 house. So seller bought, paid $400,000. In this case, he got a 95% CMHC mortgage. That's 5% down. That means he got a mortgage for $380,000, which when you add... CMHC fees on it is probably up to about 388, something like that. Now the market twitches. Let's just say it twitches 5% down. So his $400,000 property is now only worth $380,000 and his mortgage is 388. And his boss says, you're moving to Calgary next week. Sorry, we don't pay your moving costs. So he's got to sell his house. A spouse says, you know what, sorry, we've got to get divorced, uh, and that's going to happen soon. The boss says, you've lost your job, and he has payments to make. So in all of those scenarios, sellers are going, what the heck am I going to do? And the first thing they do is they call their friendly realtor, who maybe helped them buy the house, and they go, okay, here's what's happened to me. I've got to sell. Long silence from the realtor, because he knows the numbers. Long silence, and then he goes, okay. Sorry to have to tell you this, but your house is worth 380 right now. Your mortgage is 388. If you sell this property and pay out your mortgage, you're going to have at the minimum a three-month interest payment penalty. And that's going to be, in your case, say $5,000. Now, you do know I'm a realtor and I get paid on commission. And then on a $400,000 sale, commission would be $16,800. Sixteen thousand eight hundred plus payout of five thousand minimum, we're up to uh, say twenty two thousand dollars, twenty one eight. Uh, and the realtor goes, okay. And that's not counting the fact that if the house is worth three eighty, we're not going to get an offer for three eighty. We're going to get one for three sixty and settle at three seventy. Are you ready to stroke a check for about twenty two thousand dollars in order to sell your house? Ouch! Ouch! And no, the seller isn't ready to do that. So stress building for him, uh, he's uh, you know feels the burden of this giant mortgage millstone around his neck. It's more and more stressful. And so as an AFS investor, as a problem solver, as someone who's located this seller from whatever marketing you do, you come along and you say to the seller, after you've established some rapport, I'm really sorry that you're in this in this circumstance, but would it help you if I took over your mortgage payments, took over your taxes, took over your insurance on the property and all the maintenance on the property? If I could do that for you, would that work for you? Would that work for you? And folks, the answer to the question is 
almost always yes in the circumstances that we've been talking about. We, you've got a seller who has not been sleeping at night, sees his credit being ruined. He's tried to sell the realtor. He just he has got not, nowhere to go and no one to turn to. And now you have come along and solved his problem. Solved his problem. Something else that often happens in these circumstances is that a seller does actually write you a check to take over the property. Sometimes the numbers work out that you know the place really is only worth three hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and the mortgage is three eighty eight. And you go, you know, <laughs> I can't take over a property three seventy with a mortgage of three eighty eight on it. And as much as you'd like to not have a seller have to you know give you a check, sometimes they do. So that that is what um, an AFS buyer says to a seller after analysis. And so you want to know uh, in making those offers that this is a deal that will work. So if it's a property that you want to put into your own portfolio, then your your diligence should have said to you that this is going to be a positive cash flow or at least a neutral cash flow situation for me. You know, occasionally people go, well, if I had a bought it, I would have had to put up 40 grand or 80 grand, sorry, 80 grand if I did 20% down. So if it's negative a couple of hundred dollars a month, let me see, a couple hundred dollars a month, how long am I going to hold it? That's 2,400 a year. I think I might have to hold it for five years before the market turns around. So I have to put up 10 grand over five years uh, instead of 80 grand for a deposit. So even if it's negative, uh, depending on what your plans are for the property, uh, it can be a home run for you. That's if you're putting it in your own portfolio and you have other uh, AFS, you can you can exit an AFS through other creative strategies as well. And let's not step over. So when you, you know, the, the whole concept of an agreement for sale is that you're solving somebody else's problem. They've got to get out of a property. You're that person that's going to step in and take over the prob- the property. And the thing about this is, is that they've got an existing mortgage on it. Now, that's really the kind of the key to all of this. So if you're in that position as an investor where you're light on a down payment and or you don't qualify for a mortgage, this is a way to actually build your portfolio. Uh, and I mean, you can incorporate all sorts of, in this case, you know, you could be the wholesaler on these deals too, but different, more complex part of it. But you're really moving in and taking over uh, that existing mortgage. So you're not qualifying for a mortgage. That's part of the agreement, which is to say, you're going to, you know, Mr. Seller, you're going to actually continue to carry the mortgage in your name. The property title remains in your name. However, we have this agreement for sale that says that I'm responsible for all of these things. And I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the importance of making sure that's written up the right way that the seller has actually had a lawyer's guidance. And we can talk about that briefly, but that really is the most powerful or one of the most powerful parts of the strategy. Is it not, uh, Barry? Yes. It, I mean, you've summarized it, summarized it nicely. You, you add up between the buyer and the seller, they add up what the mortgage payment might be, what the taxes are, what the insurance are, what any other payments are. And they set up a joint bank account. The buyer deposits the amount of those payments into the account every month. And then it flows through to the seller and his mortgage payment, tax payment, insurance payment all get all get made. 
So that is the scenario where the uh, value of the property is near the value of the mortgage. We call that the low equity, no equity version of the AFS. Uh, you can also do an AFS where the seller is not in trouble, even where, where a seller has a clear title property. You know, that's a different scenario. And, and why would a seller, why would a seller who has a clear title property want to be your bank? Because really, seller financing. While the seller uh, sometimes can get a premium price from a buyer, he wants 400000 because it was worth 400000 It's only worth three eighty five now in the marketplace, but it was worth four hundred once, and gall darn it, he wants four hundred, not settling for any less. So uh, a buyer can pay a fifteen thousand dollar premium if the property still works for him. Sellers can leverage an interest rate. I mean, maybe the seller's got a mortgage of a hundred thousand dollars at one point nine percent, and he sells to the buyer and carries the loan of uh, our four hundred thousand dollar purchase. We put up twenty five grand. $375,000 loan from the seller at 3.9%. So the seller's collecting 3.9% on $375,000. He's only paying a mortgage of $100,000 at 1.9. So there's cash flow for a seller. It helps him defer taxes. It helps him get rid of a property that maybe he was renting. I mean, he doesn't want the um, the, the difficulty of, of renting anymore. So there's he can defer some taxes for up to five years. So there is also a whole other style of agreement for sale where the seller has maybe a ton of equity. So it works, um, it works on both ends of the what's the seller got into the game style of, uh, of transactions. And if an investor is listening to this, you know, this is also a great exit strategy or can be a great exit strategy for some properties by the investor. To your point, uh, you know, tax consequences and uh, deferring taxes aside, it is just a great way to sometimes uh, exit a, a property in maybe a bad market time or the where the market timing is is not uh, it does not line up with you but you need to get out of that deal for all the reasons and you necess don't necessarily want to disturb the tenant either it's an opportunity to have that property continue to be rented you just want to get rid of whatever the problem is for whatever that looks like whatever your stress point is and then yeah. move on so it's a great way to exit as well yeah it's a it's a very adaptable strategy and um it is uh, not quite as well known across the country as wholesaling and rent to own but it is becoming better known and it is especially becoming uh better known in Ontario where we have we've got three different sets of lawyers who want to come to our next event in Ontario to learn about agreements for sale after we did our most recent event here in Edmonton some Ontario attendees went back to Ontario and uh, purchased multi-million dollar triplexes wow. using the agreement for sale technique and did not put in a dime of their own money, not a dime of their own money. Well, how's that even possible? Like, I mean, give me a little bit more about that story, Barry. I mean, th that's sure. fantastic. And we know that those deals happen, but give me just a little bit more on that particular scenario. Okay. Uh, our student had a relationship with a, a pretty successful plugged-in realtor uh, who brought a property to him and said, listen, this guy is a builder. He's uh, building this triplex as uh, a potential for a, a suite in the basement, uh, but he's run into economic troubles. And we're in Ontario now, and the downdraft in the market has caught this mm. builder. 
And so uh, for various reasons, he has to, he wants to exit this triplex that he's building. Uh, he, so here's what he's got. He's got a mortgage on the property of, I believe, 1.3 million. He's got a line of credit on the property for uh, $400,000. And he's getting nibbles from buyers at 1.6, 1.65. Mm. He thinks the property's worth about two and a half, two and a half million. So realtor and student went at this a couple of different ways. And it just, you know, it wasn't working out. Uh, the realtor goes, hey, I got to be paid out of this. The seller goes, I need some money. Um, our student goes, you know, I'm putting this together for people and I want to get paid. So long story short, what they ended up doing was they set up an agreement for sale based on a price of two and a half million dollars. 1.3 worth of existing mortgage, $400,000 worth of existing HELOC line of credit. They put a $200,000 second mortgage on the property, which uh, the bank allowed because I'll just tell you why in a minute. And the seller says, on top of all of that, I will be your bank for the remaining $400,000 that's going to be due in, I think it was four months, going to be due in four months. You go, whoa, as you know, Patrick, most agreements for sale have uh, much longer terms than that before mm -hmm. they mature and before you'd have to pay the seller. But here's what was going on with this property. That proposed suite in the basement uh, became, with Doug Ford's push to have more housing, I mean, what does he want to build? A million and a half units over the next X number of years? Sure. Greenbelt be damned. The suite in the basement became an approved suite. All of a sudden, that ratcheted the cash flow through the roof to the point where this property is likely worth about $3.2 million. Wow. Oh. 1.3, 400 HELOC, uh, 200 by way of uh, a second mortgage on the house and 400 carried by the seller uh, is all the money that's there. That paid the realtor, that gave our clients some money for setting up the deal. And essentially, he didn't have to... Uh, take a penny out of his pocket, buys for 2.5, a property that is now worth 3.2, and they're finishing up renovations now. It'll be rented for the 1st of April, and so he'll definitely be able to pay the seller within the four-month time frame with maybe a small extension. And then, are you ready? He went and did exactly the same deal with almost exactly the same numbers with a different builder who was caught in the same circumstance. Wow. That's so, amazing. That's Ontario. But I think there's a couple things that I want to highlight here, you know, for somebody listening to this going, you know, wow, how do I do this? Number one, these are the what you teach at your rapid uh, cash program. Uh, these are the weekend program that you really do start to learn these things. And what's interesting about what you just shared is that those are kind of unicorn deals, perhaps. But at the end of the day, yeah. how many unicorns do you need before you've just made a lot of money? Number one. Number two, these deals would have never shown up without the context and the realization or seeing the possibility given what you learn at the program. And I think that we can't step over the one fundamental fact, which is what we've said many times so far along the way, is the stress points of whether it be builders, developers, 
uh, sellers, just individuals who got themselves in trouble uh, for whatever reason and are facing some headwinds and taking on or keeping a mortgage is not part of you know their plan anymore. They need help and that's going to escalate. Those opportunities are going to ramp up and there's going to be many of them. And so if you're equipped with the knowledge in advance of what's coming, because Barry, you and I have both been on this planet long enough to know that this is a cycle. We've seen these cycles before, different scenario of the cause, but the ultimate cycle, we've seen it before. And we know that these opportunities are going to start to present themselves to those who are educated. There's a significant opportunity to uh, make some really great profits in this particular marketplace. That's too true, Patrick. Um, Disturbance in the market brings opportunity, and we are definitely, I believe, and I think you believe, heading for more disturbance than we're experiencing right now. So it is, there's going to be a ton of opportunities for people who understand the strategies. Um, they'll, They'll put these techniques in place and they'll do just fine. Just fine. And no better person and people and team to do it with than the Rapid Cash team. And uh, Barry uh, will be sending out links and putting it in the description of how to register for the program and uh, take advantage of this learning opportunity. And these are ongoing programs. We've got some coming up real soon, and those will be the ones that we're putting in the link below. But Barry, I want to say thank you for your time. Uh, You've been doing this a long time, and I can say, you know, I've been to these programs. Uh, I've had many, many of our RAIN community and investors go to these programs. I've done agreements for sale. I've done rent-to-owns. I've actually done wholesaling, not a ton of it, but I've done all of them and I know they work personally. And uh, Barry, it was because of what you shared from our stage or through your rapid cash programs that I was able to do that. And uh, I want to say thanks for your time today. And for those of you who are looking at ways to profit in the upcoming and the already down This is the time to get registered, and this is the time to learn. Barry, thanks very much for your time, my friend. Always fun, Patrick, anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.